It seems that food affects all culture, including jewelry. Shauna Grissett explains how and why food finds its way into jewelry, especially fine jewelry. We've been decorating ourselves almost as long as we've been eating. It's on tip of the tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Shauna Grissett. She is the owner of DeBow Jewelry Company. It's an online company, and if anybody knows anything about jewelry, it is Shauna. Welcome, Shauna. Thank you, Liz. I'm so happy to be here. So I'm really interested, obviously, in the way food and jewelry are related. And I know that we've talked before about the names of things and colors. Let's talk a little bit about that and why it is, do you think, that people actually use food as a way to, to identify colors in jewelry and give us some examples? Well, it's interesting that you ask that. Garnet is one of the, I think, most interesting colors, and it dates back apparently. And garnet is January's birthstone, by the way. Yeah. And it comes from the Latin word arnatus. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And it means seed-like. And ancient civilizations believed um, the seeds inside of the pomegranate looked like garnets uh, with its bold red glow. So that's where garnet comes from. Um, so that's sort of interesting, I find. And, um, for example, spinach jade is another um, color. That's it's one of the it's the most prized color of green nephrite, and it's the color of a comes out dark spinach color, and it gets that dark uh, spinach looks like cooked spinach, and it gets that color from the iron in it. But people use the name spinach to describe it because that's the color it that looks it like. looks like, and and <laughs> yes. people and food is so important. To, to us, and we all know it and familiar with it. So it, it gives a, a reference that is known to everyone whenever you talk about it. Exactly. And the fact that it goes back so far, for example, you know, in, to, you know, as in Garnatus, you know. Right, Latin. exactly. And, you know, citrine is a much more, is a much easier one. It comes from the French citron from, for yellow, lemon, yes. you know. Yes. And so that's another one. And you have cherry amber, butter amber. You have watermelon tourmaline, and watermelon tourmaline really looks like a watermelon if you do a cross-section of it. Um, and you have champagne, cognac, and chocolate diamonds, and those are very popular right now. Bubblegum, pink sapphire. I mean, these are very common references, you know, and like you said, they're such a part of our lives. Food is such a part of our life, and it's such a natural reference, you know, and... Um, yeah, and it, I mean, it's certainly better than saying, oh, it's the color of... Your lungs or something. Or mud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mud-colored diamonds. Right. <laughs> That's not good. Chocolate sounds so much better, right? <laughs> much, uh, yeah, much more um, appealing and uh, edible and tantalizing. Right, right. <laughs> so I, I, I find that part really interesting because it just talks to the basic 
sort of way that food brings us all together and you can make a reference and don't have to explain beyond that. And I think that's a, a really important thing. Yes, I agree. But the other thing that I think is so important about the relationship between the way we adorn ourselves and food is that we still choose to use something so basic, such as food, to um, to adorn ourselves and to make ourselves not only pretty but stand out in some way. And I think that that also is related to the fact that it's something that we all understand. So tell me about that pin that you're wearing that all of our listeners aren't going to be able to see, but tell us about that. That's beautiful. Well, it's actually um, it's a gold with rubies, and it is in uh, it depicts a blossoming chestnut bloom, and it's well known. It was um, it's a Tiffany and Company design um, that's quite well known, and it's it's, it's it's actually mechanical, quite beautifully designed, and the petals open and close, and they open to reveal a cluster of rubies inside and it depicts quite beautifully what a chestnut a bloom looks like and so it's a popular design and throughout um i think it was from the 60s i'm uh, i have to check that <laughs> but but it has lasted and it's very collectible but again it's a part of nature and uh, which brings in themes of nature and floral motifs and food motifs are, have been popular throughout history and continue to this day. And so can you tell us a little bit about really early uses of food and jewelry? Yes. Um, one of the most interesting, I think, is stylized food has always been, like I said, and, and nature has always been a popular theme in jewelry um, throughout the ages. And Catherine the Great, she loved her fruit. And um, <laughs> <laughs> one of the most popular pieces that she wore regularly was uh, an enormous 22.6 carat rubellite, um, rubellite raspberry with green enamel leaves. And so it was given to her as a present in 1777. And I, it was one of her favorites. And so she also commissioned, and I think this is interesting, she commissioned large diamond cherry earrings as gifts, cherry, in the shape cherries, for her czarinas and grand duchesses on their wedding days. Wow. And so that was quite interesting, I think. So, um, and then the other thing is uh, some of the best fruit chief jewels were made during the Victorian era. And some people, I think, don't understand how much creativity came in jewelry making and so much, so many revolutionary um, pieces and uh, in me- mechanics and design happened. It was really divided in three periods it was such a long period because it was victoria's reign right so you know you had right. uh, anyway i was gonna say it was 1837 to 1901 but anyway I, I could have that wrong but anyway but one of the things is that they were obsessed with naturalistic motifs and themes and they made romantic jewelry in the shape of berry clusters and clusters of grapes for example and again the leaves and the florals but in particular um and a lot of the pomegranates come in there because mm-hmm the clusters. Right. And there's a lot of the garnet jewelry um, you'll see um, in Victorian jewelry, but that is a good example of, and then the the history continues on into current day. Mm -hmm. And in particular, in the 30s, it was a very elegant 20s, 30s, Art Deco 
um, you were you had you know this lovely you know very sophisticated design motif you know very architectural sophisticated and then as you got into the 40s in the war it was um, you know out went the sophistication and in came novelty and anything that it was elegance was out and novelty was in and was that because of cost or what what was the reason for that well it was kind of a combination of things it gave part of it was because to keep spirits up you know mm-hmm. and so so it was fun it was fun it was bold it was really colorful you've got to think think of Carmen Miranda she was a big part of this movement it it size was big color it was she was a huge influence in this but the color and motifs, the fruits and the vegetables and the floral designs. Um, you know, she one a huge popular theme again. The cherries come back, mm-hmm. and big red cherries and Carmen Miranda again made this hugely popular. And it was to keep the spirits up. The metal was in short supply as well, mm-hmm. and so it was difficult to find the silver based. Even if it wasn't fine jewelry, and mm-hmm. this is when costume jewelry really starts to, you know, get a foothold. Right. And movie stars, they were photographing costume jewelry on movie stars to make it, you know, more elegant for the average person to be able to wear it. And so the costume jewelry becomes, you know, a big, big um, thing. And so... But even that was at a time when costume jewelry was really well made. Um, yes. And... Um, it was. It really was. And so the other piece, and I, I guess I'm stepping back a little bit, back in, back in time, if I may. Mm-hmm. A big part of, um, there's a, uh, Cartier developed a collection called Tutti Frutti. And it wasn't named Tutti Frutti until 1970. But in the 19, um, early 1900s, the Cartier started, um, it was really 1910 when Jacques Cartier made his first trip to India. And so when he did he did that, he became really enamored with the the beautiful it's actually nineteen eleven, but he became enamored with the richly hued em, emeralds, rubies and sapphires of um, and the way that the cabochon cut gemstones were traditionally carved in the local designs in India. Mm-hmm. And so he loved this so much that in the 1920s, the first collection of the Tutti Frutti um, came out, and they are cut in uh, these beautiful, the cabochon gemstones are cut in, again, these natural motifs of berries and flowers and leaves, and they're mixed with um, diamonds, and the jewels are fantastic, and they're still so highly collectible. A bracelet actually sold um, for $1.3 million <laughs> during COVID at an auction, it's fantastic. You know, it shows that they are still incredibly collectible and popular um, and I think will always be. And, you know, it's just – and so anyway, along that those lines, Tutti Frutti, there was kind of a, a side uh, – a rift of it, really, I guess you want to say, an offshoot called Fruit Salad. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and so, you know, so there's Tutti Frutti, which really is is – Cartier and Tutti Frutti is sapphires, emeralds, and um, rubies. Sapphires, emeralds, and rubies, and then Tutti Frutti was other fine Gems. jewelers, uh-huh. and they came along. People like um, 
Suzanne Belperon and Voivin and Schlumberger from Tiffany and Company and um, Verdura, and they created their own signature creations. And but because Tutti Frutti was Cartier, they did their own riffs on that. And that has um, and then costume designers also did their own versions of this fruit salad. Now the fruit salad craze really started in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and that was across the board, and that also kind of incorporated, you could you could also lump in the Carmen Miranda mm-hmm. look. Um, mm-hmm. I tend to think of it more along the Tutti Frutti look, but mm-hmm. uh, different art historians will, I mean, jewelry historians will say, no, it's all of the above. Well, so what about, like, all of that Bakelite, uh, like exactly. the Bakelite cherries Absolutely. that often were attached with something that had little diamonds across it or whatever. So it was a kind of yes. mixing of 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 kind of less expensive, yes. um, more plastic uh, types of materials with actual gems, which I, I think is really an, an interesting statement about first industrialism industrialism and what that means in terms of creating things like Bakelite um, and then using it in a way that you really can't use a gem right. because of the color control that you have. You're not stuck with the color of the gem, but you can decide what color it is and turn it into shapes and mass produce it and make it more affordable. So, I mean, it, it had to have changed jewelry in many ways. Well, it did. And again, we go back to the war years. And because of, you know, the traditional metals not being as available, you had, you know, Bakelite, for example, and, you know, people became very innovative from the, you know, the average person at home who was making jewelry out of felt and, yes. you know, putting uh, and, and rhinestones or sequins or whatever uh, was at her disposal to, you know, like Bakelite was a big innovation and, you know, the celluloids and different mm-hmm. um, and plastics and things like that became available or, you know, mother, what necessity is the mother of invention. Right. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> this is a perfect example of it. And so, and up until, and now today it was interesting because um, fruit and it was particularly fruit had a, a big fashion moment last year in 2021 in jewelry and um, some modern designers um, and, not just it was fashion, Prada did a lot with it, but some modern jewelry designers did a lot with it. And um, it, it was interesting because they had some beautiful pieces. Um, a, a well-known, very high-end jewelry designer, Wendy Yu, did some beautiful, um, I think they were, I want to say, I think they were apples with a bite cut out. Um, uh, there, were, it, it, there were some spectacular pieces from last summer, that were very summery and light. And I have to believe, of course, that, you know, as fashion follows society and, and culture, and culture yeah. you know, we needed some light moments last year. So yeah. I think that was part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, but yes, yeah, so, I, you know, you've seen uh, those were important years because they opened the mind to other options because certain typical materials weren't available. So what about the times that you might find fruits and vegetables and and food-related things in cloisonne or in um, other other materials that aren't necessarily gemstones? 
Yes, and that goes yeah, well. That goes thousands of years back. If you want to go, because that's a whole nother, you know, cloisonne and enameling. There's so many. That's a whole school of. I didn't realize until recently. I was reading a. Um, I was studying about enameling, and there's so many different kinds of enameling and cloisonne. And that, that's a version mm-hmm. of enameling, and um, that goes back. Oh my goodness, to you know, Asia and the beginnings of <laughs> time, right. and then you have so many. Um, Nat- motifs in the terms of fruits and vegetables and, and all of that is intertwined and which is beautiful and it doesn't involve gemstones, you know, and right. it's just, but it is, enameling is a gem and it's, whether it's a a, a pillbox or this or not. Or, or an apple that just sits on your table. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, or a, for a, a pen, you know. A, 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 exactly, a pen. A cloisonne pen. Exactly. exactly. And I, I think that um, our attitudes about what is jewelry is very right. limited. But I, I think if you think about all of the beautiful work that you can extend beyond something that you actually wear into the sort of decoration of everything, um, right. it's extraordinarily broad. It is because, you know, um, I, the first, actually the first piece of um, known quote-unquote jewelry dates back, I think, 25,000 years, it was a necklace of fish bones that was found in a cave in Monaco. Food. And it's food. And <laughs> and who knows what that, it would be, it's interesting to conjecture what that was for. Was it, um, you know, the chief of chief of the group, but the tribe, was it, the chief, was it a gift given to his wife? I, you know, for having a boy, probably. I, I don't, I, who knows? Right. You, you know, what right. could that be? But, um, and then, you know, jewelry, quote unquote, is when you go into someone's home and it has a beautiful home and different uh, the adornments of the silver pieces, perhaps, or pieces they've collected in, around the world. You know, is that right? Uh, and and things like um, uh, mother of pearl handles yes. on things, absolutely. And just, all, just you just could go crazy with all of the the ways that we have decorated, which I. St- consider jewelry they absolutely are jewelry because they're adornments you yes. know and uh-huh. they're adornments regardless if they're on your person because if they're on your house they're still an adornment and are in your in your space in yeah. your space and it's uh-huh. an adornment because the adornments have changed during time and, and started out like i said with the bone necklace and then next um the adornments were really hunting things you know mm-hmm. the next generation and they were baby teeth or bones are worn around your neck to prove your prowess. And mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. people wore adornments for talismans for luck or whatnot. And then they became more sophisticated and um, to keep away evil spirits maybe. But yes, and then when you had more and more and more, you could... Right, so you can... They didn't have to have a specific purpose. They could just be lovely. And in particular, in the Victorian times and in the, the Golden Age... There was something for everything, you know, the, uh, I hate the robber baron period or whatever, when there was just so much wealth and there was, you know, a fork for every single thing. And there was just so much you could create. Um, you had something for everything, you right. know, and and everything looked, was a jewel. It right. was. Right. And it was the best of the best of every, um, ele- you know, the highest quality gold, the highest quality Ruby, diamond, everything, and in these little treasures where you would keep your rings, where you would put your, for cigar, you know, a cigar holder or a cigarette holder Mm -hmm. or 
lorgnettes, everything. Those are all jewels. And and your silverware. I mean, that's that that really uh, adorning your adorning your silverware to me is just um, not only is it extraordinarily extreme, but at the same time, it's basic. And, yes. and so you actually get to enjoy it on a regular basis because you eat all, every day. Right. And, That's a good point. And I, I, I think that you might think, well, these ordinary things don't have to be so beautiful, but the pleasure of using them over and over again is something that if you can afford it, and of course it's always a, a class issue, but if you can afford it, it is actually a pleasure. Right. And and so why not? And <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. And and so um I and I see that like for example, I I have always been fascinated by pearls. Yes. Because pearls come from oysters and we eat oysters. And <laughs> yes. then, you know, mother of pearl and inside of a conch and all of the different like for cameos and all the yes. things that people eat and then are taken to the next step because you don't want to lose that. And so you constantly have a connection to food, even though it isn't food. Very good point. Yes. It's almost re- repurposed in a way, or, but that's not the word that was used. Right. But it's, yes. it's, it's, it's continued because it is so beautiful. Yes, yes. And it just also, it connects us over and over again to the fact that you get sustenance from these things. Yes. And in an indirect way and in a direct way. And I, I love that connection. I, I just think that's so, so really interesting. Because you get the emotional sustenance as well as the physical. The physical, exactly. Yes. Exactly, yes. Exactly. And you're, you're correct. And they're both important. And so one going back to our literal jewelry that people adorn themselves with, one of the points that um, I, I know that we had talked about before we got started um, is the the taste, the taste van. Yes, yes. Uh, to me, that is one of those things that has an actual purpose, um, but that is worn as adornment. And, um, uh, and you know, if you're a waiter or sommelier and you are tasting wine for people as you open it, um, you, you wear it around your neck. And, of course, that's done for convenience because – you want it available all the time and want to know where it is. But at the same time, if you're going to wear it and everyone gets to see it, why not make it lovely? Absolutely. And so these things were often beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Of course, and they should be. And it's similarly something I've always been fascinated with, and I have a very small collection, but is um, Chatelaine's. Oh, and, no. you know, I think, you know, Downton Abbey came along, and I think it made it a little more popular if you didn't know what one was. But I I like to mix – one of the things I love about jewelry is I love to mix old with new, and and I like to wear – well, chatelaines also come and very uh, – you know, you think of them as just very um, – Utilitarian. Utilitarian, and you just 
it's for the head of the household to wear. But there are some fascinating and fantastically gorgeous ones that are out of gold and enamel. Speaking of enamel, and I like I, I have one that I like to wear actually at my belt with a belt and ah. as it's as a piece of jewelry for me personally. And do you wear it with keys also, or I, just the chatelaine? I wear itself? it with the chat and, and they the one I like to wear the most has the little all you know, the uh, I have to be careful, it has a teeny little scissor on it, and it has a few <laughs> things. Um, I don't put my own keys on it, no, because it's kind of delicate, and so I just keep it with the things it came with. Uh-huh. But it does, it's always, um, people always you know, admire it. And, what is that? And it's, oh, that's so pretty. I would never, what is it? And, you know, oh, I would never think to do that. But I think that's what's interesting about, especially in antique pieces or older pieces, mm-hmm. or you know, and to mix it with pl- absolutely modern jewelry, you know, um, but like along the lines of the utilitarian quote unquote jewelry, um, it's, it's in the same vein, absolutely, same vein. yes, and it can be. I mean, I if you if I came across something like the, the test, you know, I, I, why not wear that if you could mix it well? Exactly, yes. Uh-huh. And why shouldn't it be beautiful, even if it's worn only in its utilitarian purposes? Right, exactly. Better than a pail around your neck, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right? No, you're 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 right. Absolutely. Yeah, and there's so there's so many um, connections to me between the kind of pleasure that you take from eating and the kind of pleasure that you can take from this beauty that's created. That um, uh, when you can combine them. Then you have something in particular that's spectacular, you know. Exactly, exactly. It's it's one of the you know it, the senses. It pleases the senses. Right, know. exactly. The eye, sense of taste, smell, you know, all of it. So, what what should we leave people with in terms of uh, knowing something about the connection between food and jewelry? Um, my thought is that um, we're what we have is something that people have been doing since the beginning of civilization, and that um, uh, it's normal and natural to connect it to everything that we the way we live. And eating is something that is a commonality for all of us, and um, is is connected to food and you know just going back to like the spinach jade um we know what that color is and so why not use that as a way to describe what the jade looks like as well as even today you know here in new orleans uh jewelry made of red beans i mean our jewelry for mardi gras is so so food related uh, and so connected to all of these things that we do every day that we consider part of our culture, right. that you're wearing cultural emblems. They just happen to be food. Exactly. Uh, when you're wearing uh, sterling civil crawfish hanging yes. from your neck or whatever, <laughs> <Exactly>. you know. <laughs> or, you know, I and I meant to look into this a little more, but the queens of Twelfth Night and the, they receive, and the maids, they receive um, a, a gold bean on a chain and a silver bean on a chain. Um, and that goes back, that's a whole other tangent. Right. But it's, it's food. It's food. <laughs> and Absolutely. that's another historic, for another time. But 
but and it is related to our culture right and exactly. so it has it's a cultural symbol and it's turned into jewelry and that actually then makes it possible for everyone to see culture hanging from your neck right right and identifies who you are exactly and that's a big part of a jewelry it's a statement about who you are it's it always that's, has been an expression of who you are. That's right, yeah. Like food, I think. But I think one of the things I, I think I feel strongly about with jewelry is I think a lot of people think or buy jewelry because they think it's an investment or, you know, especially with the diamond ring, uh, De Beers was very brilliant with their ad campaigns, for sure. And, you know, an, an engagement ring should be three months of a man's salary or whatever that was. And I think jewelry should be bought to be worn, and it should be what you like, it, absolutely. It should be not uh, because uh, what you think is an investment or because what you think you'll make money on in the future or can resell, whatever. If you want to resell it, sell it. But I think it should absolutely be what you love, what you like, and not what someone else tells you you thinks you should buy because it's the best diamond in the world and what you relate to. And don't put it in the vault. If you're going to put it in the vault, there's no reason to have it, right? <laughs> I, think that, I mean, if you, it's like food, if you don't, if you're going to put it in the freezer all for the rest of all time, why What's have it? Point? What's the point? <laughs> you know, usually when I buy something at the grocery store, that I want to eat it that night. <laughs> you know, it's yummy, right? Right. I think that's my my um, main thing about jewelry is buy what you love and wear it. Yeah, I think I think that's the way we should leave it. Yes. So thanks so much, Shauna, for being with us to talk about this today. This has been really fascinating. I learned tons, so it's it's great to have talked to you about it. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I'm glad. I always enjoy speaking with you, and I find it fascinating what you do. And I've learned so much about food with you all the time. We come to you from the Camellia Bean Studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, part of the Nitty Grits Network. For more information on today's podcast, join the Tip of the Tongue podcast group on Facebook. Please come by when you're in New Orleans and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like it, let us know in the comments. This is Liz Williams.